Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Gays on Film. This podcast is where we, a pair of gays, talk about what we're watching. I'm Declan. And I'm Ned. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about Saltburn. That's Saltburn, not Saltburn by the Sea. I don't think very many people will get that. All right. We'll be talking spoilers (laughs) throughout, as always, so do proceed with caution. But before all that, Ned, I'd love to know what you've been watching since we last recorded. Uh, what have I been watching? There's quite a lot on the list because we haven't we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks. Mm. So obviously it's Christmas season now. So I decided to wreak havoc on our Instagram story and run a little poll. Is it a poll? No questions. Uh. No, I wouldn't call it a poll. No, it wasn't a poll. It was the one where there was a right or a wrong answer. Yeah, Um, and I was mortified. I was on my own Instagram. I clicked through, is Die Hard a Christmas film? And I thought, it must have put yes. So I clicked what I thought my answer was, and I thought, does he really think that? Or is he just, as you say, causing mischief? Causing mischief at Christmas, because what better reason to... Um, I thought I'd seen Die Hard before, but it turns out I never have. So I thought, thought it was quite good. I don't think I've put it on Letterboxd yet, actually. Okay. It will be on there by the time this recording goes out, though. Yeah, had a good time with it. Don't think I'll race to watch it every single year. Not really. Not really what gets me in the Christmas spirit. Do you know what I would like to make a comment about Christmas films? What? I don't really like re-watching films. And there's not many Christmas films. You know, like, as soon as December hits, everyone just seems to be watching, like, the, the classics again. Films. Yeah. I can't do it. Oh. I prefer to watch some new ones. Okay. Even though they don't tend to be as good as the classics. That's fine. But there's something about it. I just, like, everyone's like, oh, shall we watch The Grinch? I'm like, no. Okay. Shall we watch this? No. I mean, we've, we think we've landed on what we're going to do for our Christmas time capsule episode, but I haven't seen that in years, so I'm quite happy oh, about that. I'm excited for that one. Um, so, yeah. Okay. We put our tree up this weekend, and we again, did. when we were like, should we put a Christmas film on? I was like, I don't want to, for the reasons I've just stated. So what did we watch? We watched Mary Poppins Returns, which I'm sure was because you've seen it before. I have seen it before. Yeah, that doesn't really make sense. No. But it wasn't a Christ- it's not a Christmas film, rules. but it came out in December a few years ago. Mm. And it feels inherently festive. Mm. And I enjoyed it just as much the second time. I like the music in it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I've never seen it before. And it's made me want to watch Mary Poppins again. Really? Have you ever seen Saving Mr. Banks? Yes. I like that film that is, well. I like that film with Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, Emma Thompson as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I do like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, we're the Millers. Did we watch this hungover? It was definitely a Sunday after our friend's wedding. Hi, Emma and Josh. Thanks for such a gorgeous weekend. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I woke up halfway through it, but I enjoyed what How I did saw. You sleep on the on the sofa. Yeah, silly you. Yeah. That's always good. Um, it's like the right kind of comedy, I think. I think comedy as a genre has a tendency to skew a particular way that doesn't really appeal to me, but where the Miller seems to hit the marks. It, it's proper silly humour, but it is yeah. quite good. Yeah. 
And I think it, I think, I think it's it came out that long ago. Now it almost feels a bit nostalgic as well. Yeah, it must have been when I was a student that it came out. I think it was quite a while ago. It's at least ten years. I was, I oh, wouldn't have said. Call me out. <laughs> what for being a student ten years ago? Oh, you scared me then. Ah. I want to have a look actually. Um, 2013, and... so 10 years. Wow, it is 10 years. Great. Yeah. Um, and Lindsay Lohan in... Just you don't seem very... I can't quite switch peppy. on. I can't switch on, I don't really know. I'm having one of them weeks where I can't really get my head in gear. No. So, come on, tell me what you've been watching. Well, I finished Gen V which is the boys spin-off on Amazon Prime, which was a lot of fun, a lot of absolutely ridiculous sequences, as you would expect from that universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the satire. I love the way it connected into the wider story of the boys. Um, and if you're a boys fan and you haven't watched Gen V, I would very much recommend. Mm. Um I'm also randomly doing a Harry Potter rewatch. For no reason. I just, there was one night I was like, <coughs> I want to watch a film. This is again contradicting what I said about rewatching films. I want to watch a film that I've seen before that I don't have to pay that much attention to. Yeah. And it's got me into a Harry Potter hole. Oh. Not Harry Potter's hole. Lucky Daniel um, Radcliffe. <laughs> but, so I've watched one, two, three, and four. Yeah. And it's absolutely mad to me, the tonal shift between the first two and then what then comes after with the rest of them. Granted, I know the films get darker and darker every time, which I always remember when we used to see them. It was like, even the colour palette on the films, it's mm. like the colour saturation gets darker. Yeah, but also the, the target audience grew up with them, so it was able to appeal to kind of a maturing. But the first two were just such different films. But I actually really enjoyed watching them again yeah the chamber of secrets is too long it's like two hours 50 which is ridiculous yeah for the in my opinion the weakest book and the weakest film are the chamber of secrets weakest film it's not my favorite weak is very um a strong word i think but Actually, yeah, probably. Although I think all of them flip between three and a half. No, three star and four and a half. Mm. Maybe four. Four and a half seems a bit... Generous. Yeah. Yeah. but I never bother with the last three either. Can't be arsed. Obviously, I'm going to watch them all. I always just watch the first five. I'm looking forward to Order of Phoenix because I always remember it was the film where they didn't have to say words when they cast spells anymore. They were like having battles with the ones, and it was just yeah. like, psh, 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 like that. And I always liked that. Right. Um, so, yes, but I did watch them in quite quick succession. Um, we also went to see Napoleon at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, so, November for me at the cinema was a little bit of a disappointing month. All right. To be honest. Um, and this links into what else we saw at the cinema. Um, other than Leeds Film Festival, yeah, um, which is like different because a lot of these films won't come out till the new year anyway. Mm. But I was disappointed by both Napoleon and I was especially disappointed by The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Okay. Not that Napoleon, out of the two, I preferred Napoleon. I don't really know why you're comparing them, to be honest. I'm just, like, thinking of, like, November releases in the cinema. I don't know why. Right. But I found Napoleon suffered from... It tries to cover too much of his life in one film. To me, it could do with, like, the the crown treatment where it goes through, like, a series. Mm. Like, it spanned, what, 30-odd years, maybe? If not more. And he didn't change... Which always annoys me. There he did. He didn't look any older. His hair got greyer. Other than that. <laughs> my hair's grey and I'm 29. I know. Um, and I don't know, I just didn't think it was... Like, the action sequences and the battle sequences were really good, but I think in a world where, like, some of the war sequences Game of Thrones and the likes have done, yeah. it just wasn't 
it didn't match up to it. Yeah, I think its trailer promised an epic of what kind of proportions? You know the kind of vibe yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um. But to me, it didn't deliver. Didn't deliver on its promise. Did it didn't it? deliver on its promise. I think I just I didn't quite get as emotionally invested as I wanted it to want me to. Because of I think the jumping through the timeline a little bit too fast. Having said that, I thought that the camera work was really cool, especially the battle where they were all going in the ice. Mm. That was really fun. And I generally had a good time watching it, but there are just a few kind of not quite hits for me. I think it was probably a bit of a script problem as well for me. I didn't think... I think if you're going to centre the story about Napoleon and his wife's relationship, whose name I cannot... Josephine. Josephine. That didn't feel fully fleshed out to me. And I think it was due to trying to span so much time in two and a half hours. Mm. Um, I kind of felt like it was weird that they didn't use any French words yeah. in there, right? Like, they didn't even say, like, merci instead of thank you. I heard Viva la France a few times in the battles. I heard long live the king or long live the revolution or something, which you could put in French and audiences. I think they probably did it, like... Yeah, I I thought that. And I thought, I'm quite glad Hacking's not doing a French accent, because what's the point? Yeah, I didn't think it needed French accents, per se, but, like, a couple of French words peppered throughout, just to remind you that you're in France, not Britain or America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, And then The Hunger Games, Ballads of Songbirds and Snakes... I, so I gave Napoleon three star and Hunger Games, I actually gave two star and I can't really put into words why, but all I know is I found the third act incredibly boring, so much so I was like constantly looking at my watch. I thought... Like after the Hunger Games when they're in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, um, who plays Lucy Gray? Totally... It's totally her, forgot. Her from West Side Story. Why well, can't that? That's not coming into my head. But anyway, Zegler. Rachel, Rachel Zegler. Zegler. Yeah, I thought her characterization. I think she's a good actor, but I thought her character and characterization was awful. I thought if she sings "Are you, are you" any more times, I'm literally going to walk out of this cinema. The Hanging Tree. I think that was only in it twice. It was in it loads. No, she had another song. Oh well, the song the songs were annoying <coughs> as well. I just didn't like it. I thought it was a really weirdly paced film. I thought Tom Blythe as a young Coriolanus was very good, and I do look forward to seeing his career mm. hopefully blossom. But unfortunately, I didn't like it, and I'd be quite happy if The Hunger Games stayed as a franchise that ended its run. I think that I enjoyed watching it, but... Thinking about the story, it didn't really need telling. You know what I mean? It's like... I think probably Harper Collins approached Suzanne Collins and said, is there any of the stories you can do in The Hunger Games? Because we know it'll sell a load of books. She was like, yeah, there's probably one percolating in my brain. I'll have a go. And then they've adapted it into a film and it was crap. Maybe you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, And I hope she doesn't do any more. Okay. Um... I think that's it. There are another few TV shows I've started watching, but I'll keep that to the next episode. It's been going for a little bit now. Right. Well, there's some good recommendations in there, I cool. think. Yeah. Well, what's been going on in the news? So, and I'm going to handle this with some sensitivity, but the Israel-Gaza conflict is causing problems in Hollywood. I think it's possibly the least of their concerns, but I know what you mean. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously, I'm not quite yeah. like I'm sure the people in Israel and Gaza are <laughs> and having a worse yeah, time. Yeah. Um, but and one thing that seems to have happened is Scream Seven has kind of totally imploded on itself. So Melissa Barrera, um, who, so Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, who are the Carpenter sisters, 
if you recall at the end of Scream 6, we're pretty much kind of... This trilogy, they've said, of, of these films, 5, 6, and 7, are like their story. Mm-hmm. Now, it was revealed that due to her pro-Palestinian stance that she had been let go from the film. And then the day after, it was also announced that Jenna Ortega was, would not be returning, but it was nothing to do with what had happened the day before, her scheduling due to Wednesday season two, due to what had happened with all the strikes, pushing everything, moving everything. That was the reason, and they couldn't announce, and that news had been in the bag for a long time, but they couldn't announce it until post-strikes. All a bit fishy to me, Mm, that it came the day after. But it's just really interesting, and I, I guess I wanted to share the news because probably wanted to ask your opinion and maybe start a bit of a discussion. Male listeners. You. Right. Actors are obviously people. Yeah. And they have the right to showcase their views. Yeah. Now, all that Melissa Barrera said, and I don't really want to get into our own views on what's happening, but all Melissa Barrera said is the genocide that's happening in Gaza isn't, like, is not on and not proportionate as to what happened. Yeah. Now, I don't think that is enough to warrant her being sacked. No. But I know that America is quite pro-Israel, I think. I don't know where you're going with this without getting into our views and turning this into a... No, I just think, well, let's not necessarily talk about Gaza, Israel, right? But do you think actors have should keep their mouth shut when it comes to current political events? Or do you think they should showcase it? Because what I worry about is the world is becoming so polarised over everything. Mm. I always remember that news about they were trying to get Taylor Swift to say who she would vote for as president. She was like, I'm not saying... And then I think she eventually said she wouldn't vote for Trump, but then it, like she received quite a lot of backlash because she has quite a lot of Republican followers from her country days and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's just really interesting. And Susan Sarandon did say some quite... I didn't like what she said, but I can't recall it. Right. And that guy from Stranger Things has been videoed on Instagram with like badges saying, like, Zionism is sexy and all that kind of stuff. Right. I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but just about current affairs affecting Hollywood. I think that take it out of like the cultural sector, put it somewhere else corporate where it doesn't particularly have a big visible thing. I can understand why bosses maybe are tempted to address contentious issues with their staff to make sure that nobody is um, suggesting that the views of themselves are the represent the views of their employer. Yeah. I think it often comes from um, a concern around sort of perception and like you know relationships with all of the stakeholders that you might engage with if you're a company trying to engage with diverse stakeholders it can be problematic for your business model to take sides in such things yeah that's true i suppose makes sense but this is a cultural sector thing and they're not changing the world are they Well, but also the power of cinema and things does have a lot of influence over the way people understand current events. Yeah. And even historical events. Well, yeah, even like, think about this, yeah, Oppenheimer, not the same, but... I think the understanding of, it of depends, what that story did and it, what happened with that invention and all that kind of yeah, stuff that came. It depends on the motivation for sacking Melissa Barrera. If it was because we would rather you take a pro-Israel stance on this, then that to me seems unfair. 
because that's dictating what someone's views are. If it was a, we don't want to get caught up in this culture thing, yeah, this dispute, so we need to distance ourselves from people who are vocal about it. I don't know. I think Hollywood I would might differently. I think Hollywood might have a problem with this moving forward though because I think there's yeah. a lot of young actors coming into act, like into mainstream Hollywood blockbusters yeah. that have very much got a lot of young people now are quite active activists. Yeah. And I think a lot of them will want to use their, their social media following and platform to affect change. I think it was quite easy back in the day for someone like Angelina Jolie to say, I want to end world hunger. It's pretty like... It's like a pageant answer, Yeah, isn't it? it is. Whereas now things are getting quite complex. Well, and also people are staring the consequences of environmental destruction and social inequality in the face yeah. every day. Yeah. It's no wonder that people want to use whatever voice they've got. Yeah. You know what I mean? Although I will caveat that, that I don't think Instagram stories are necessarily, necessarily, necessarily the place. And this might be being a bit of a boomer, but I just don't think they give enough context to what you well, necessarily no, is, mean by sharing that. That start, is that. largely a problem with social media as it is set up as an, and engaged with. But it doesn't mean that... Like, if your Instagram story is the only access to a platform that you have to voice whatever you need to say, then it's the one you're going to use, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm glad... I didn't really know what I was getting at with that news, but I'm glad yeah. I did bring it up because I feel like it did... We have had a decent-ish conversation about it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, what a time we've had. But now it's time to cast our minds into the future and get excited for what's coming up in the world of TV? Film. Film. Sorry, is the script not yeah. updated? Sorry. It's time now for Trailer, Trash or Treasure. What have we got this week? We have got Mad Max... Sorry, Furiosa and Mad Max Saga, which is... Serves as both a spin-off and a prequel to Mad Max Fury Road, which came out in 2015. And is it overall the fifth film in the Mad Max franchise? Mm. Um won't say any more yet, we'll go watch the trailer, but as always, the link is in the show notes, so if you'd like to watch along, pause it, um, and then come back. Pause it, watch it, then cut. <laughs> we always mince this bit, don't we? It doesn't matter who's... You do. No. You do. Anyway, yeah, see you after the sparkles. Do you have to have seen the other ones? <laughs> I love that you just asked me. I think... You will get a lot more from it if you've seen Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Okay. Which is a film that I think... How old will I have been? 21. I don't think I appreciated just how good it is. Because, I swear, and I'm Googling it now, Empire, either the Empire magazine or in 2020 did a survey of people to get the best films of the 21st century so far. Mm. So we're 20 years in. Mm. And Mad Max Fury Road was number one. Wow. Um, so, and Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring was number two. So like... That's the calibre of film. That's the calibre we're talking. And I will say this trailer has made my anticipation for this film rocket way higher and I think it's probably one of the most anticipated releases of next year for me wow big words I just think it looks so cool I mean I, I like am... the score I like the way it looks um I am partial to a dystopian setting which yeah. it looks like Mad Max is not knowing anything about it so as far as I'm aware, Mad Max, when it mentions in the trailer and about the franchise, the collapse is like the collapse of civilization, and it's a yeah. bit like a. It can it does have like a climate change analogy because everywhere just becomes like dust, desert, and desert. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I will definitely be revisiting Mad Max Fury Road before we see this. Definitely. Um, it doesn't give too much of a plot It doesn't, away. which it's probably classed as a teaser with it being the first trailer. Um, but I think Anya Taylor, so Furiosa, who this obviously centres around, um, in the in Fury Road, that, that character is played by Charlize Theron. Um, but I do think Anya Taylor-Joy, as a younger version of her, is very good casting. And mm. something about Anya's big eyes. She's got big eyes, hasn't she? Big eyes. She does. Like, something about them does it really well yeah. for this film. Like, it in the, the way the whites of her eyes stick out against all this black and desert and muck and shit. Like, I just think it looks really good. Doesn't right. look like Chris Hemsworth, because he seems to be wearing a prosthetic nose. Mm-hmm. And it, it did take me a bit to be like, oh, that's Chris Hemsworth. Um, I wouldn't have known that if... I don't know what I was Obviously, the trailer that, I wouldn't have known that. puts on the title, and you tell joy, Chris Hemsworth. And then I was like, oh, oh, so that was Chris Hemsworth. Um, so, yeah, really cool. Trash or treasure? Absolute treasure for me. Hmm. You? Um, oh, come on. I mean, it's not made me want to watch it. Has it not? Not particularly. Oh, my I God. I don't really... I don't get what it's trying to sell. Like, I don't know. Maybe if I'd have seen Mad Max before. Okay. So what is it? I guess trash. <gasps> oh! But the trailer's so, it's cut so well, it's such a good trailer. Like, it's objectively a good trailer. Okay. Doesn't give too much away. Looks cool. Scores cool. All that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. But it's all right, I appreciate your opinion. I think just but on this... all the words in the trailer, like, remember her, this is her odyssey. No, I don't remember her, because I've never met her before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's out at the end of May next year, so it is very much in summer blockbuster season. Lovely. And now, for this week's headline feature, it's Saltburn coming up after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So... Emerald Fennell Saltburn. Let me do a synopsis first, which I will say Ned hasn't done a synopsis this time, so I'm just stealing it from this fantastic website called imdb.com. Right. But it goes, (laughs) a student at Oxford University finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. Pretty good one, to be fair. Yeah, I think that's not a million miles away from something I would have come up with had I paid attention when I was writing my notes. First thoughts, then? I would like to start our discussion by saying that I actually had a really good time watching this film. Mm-hmm. Because I, th- I have a feeling that when we talk about certain aspects of it, it's going to sound like it didn't. But actually, I think it's a really good film. So I want to I get think, that. Yeah. I want to lay that out there straight away, because it is. I think when we get to that, I think even my opinion of the film, <laughs> and when we get to star ratings later, I really enjoyed watching it, and I found it 
beautiful. Like yeah. it was very much a film where every the style of it and every every frame could have been a picture. It was yeah. beautifully shot. It was shot. very like intentional in a sh- in in the shots. I thought I really liked that kind of mid two thousands mid noughties setting. I don't think it's a period that we've had a lot in films yet. Um, no, we're just. I think Y two K is is quite fashionable among the Gen Zs. Um, so, and I wonder I if feel it's, like this it's is the start of that kind of era for cinema, starting to kick in for that kind of nostalgic mm. feeling. Um, yeah. because... I really liked just before we move up too far away from the visuals, the title card. Yeah, it was really cool. It was like old timey stitching almost. Like I did embroidery. actually. I did actually read um, an <clears throat> interview with Emerald Fennell about that, and. Even for the kind of detail that she's gone into, they could have just used a font, but they actually got someone to hand draw the title card. Ah. Um, which those kind of little details I kind of really appreciate. Yeah, it's been a good few title like cards this year, actually. That oh. and Evil Dead Rise. Evil Dead Rise was yeah. such a good title card. Um, but it had. I just got to talk about the name first Salt as well. Man. Yeah. So in that same interview that I read, Emerald Fennell was like, I just heard the, the place named Saltburn and just thought it sounded like the most lavish, beautiful place. I'm going to have to call it Saltburn. And I thought, I do love Saltburn. It is probably one of my favorite places on the planet because it's very close to where I'm from. Yeah. And we used to go there all the time on the beach with walking the dog. Yeah. But... For, it was a bit weird for it to be for her to have that reaction to the name because it, what the film portrays is very different to the Saltburn that I know. Yeah, but that's a very personal experience from me. Um, but yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit strange. Yeah, she just thought it sounded sexy, which I suppose maybe. If you weren't from where we're from, it wouldn't mean the same thing. So we're just... I'm not saying it took me out of the film, because no. that would be ridiculous, but it yeah. took me out of the... I think part, the of, the, I part of the excitement for when Saltburn was released was that we weren't entirely sure if it was going to be set in or around Saltburn by the Sea in the north. Until I started seeing, East. like... Until we got some teasers for it, I was like, oh, it's got absolutely nothing to do with where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just sort of one of those ever so tiny minor disappointments. But that's no nobody's fault, really. But the thing I rub up against in this film, which is actually quite a good pun, which I didn't mean to do. Mm. Um, I liked the themes of desire, lust... Yeah. Kind of obsessive love. What I didn't mesh with and didn't get what it was trying to do is the commentary on class. Yeah. And I know having, like, since watching it, I know why it didn't make so much sense. But when we came out of the screening, we were like... um. It was good, but I think there was something not quite, almost not there with it. Because it felt very like it was gearing up to be, um, to sit quite nicely alongside some of the Eat the Rich type films that we've seen over the last couple of years. But it wasn't at all. But it wasn't. And then I started reading about it and learned that Emerald Fennell is... Closer to the aristocratic oh, side she's of it than incredibly she posh. Exactly. Yeah. She's a really posh person. Yeah. So maybe it felt like it was trying to be a critique of class structures, but because it doesn't come from someone whose voice represents a position that can really critique it. Yeah. 
that was kind of what was missing in this in the story. Well, because overall, bit. you you start the film feeling sorry for Oliver, who's played by Barry Keoghan. Yeah. Then he kind of nestles himself into the family. Yeah. And then it's almost like it's trying to get you to feel sorry for the wealthy because of what he then goes on to do. Yeah. But it's like it's not so much eat the rich as um, please don't eat us. We're nice. Yes. But they're not. Well, I just, just I don't really know what to do with it. Because individually, I didn't really have a problem with any of those characters. No, me neither. Um, And I think my best pal Frankie hit the nail on the head when she said the most interesting character in the whole thing was Farley. Yeah. The cousin from America who's mixed race, who... Was staying at Saltburn with the family. So why did studying. she say that he was? What was her? He had reason? loads of depth, and he like touched on some really kind of crucial perspective that had it then been explored through the rest of the film, like kind of commentary on where all this wealth came from and how it's a bit. Um, um, oh, what's the word? Like commenting on the fact that the black member of the family has to rely on the the money, like the generosity, yeah, yeah, yeah. in quotes yeah. of his white uncle, because his white uncle's the one that's got all of all the all the wealth, um, and also kind of the um, the staff that they have in the house. He notices that none of them know their names and things like that, and all of these like little. Little pieces, like breadcrumbs, are there, which, had they been explored, this would have been a really good Eat the Rich film. Yeah, and I think I would have enjoyed this film a lot more if it didn't do the the rug pull in the final act that it attempts to do. Yeah. So basically, what what we see with this film is Oliver as I say, played by Barry Keoghan, who I will say is absolutely magnificent in this. Oh, smashing, um, yeah. Like, so, like, menacing and, but, like, charming and, like... not even like... remotely menacing until... Yeah. Until things start to happen. So like, he me- really catches you. He meets Felix, played by <laughs> Jacob Elordi, um, at university. Um, and he's one of those people that, like, everyone's obsessed with. And I do think... I think we've all met someone like that. Especially at that age. There was always one yeah. or two people where it's like everyone wanted to be around them all yeah. the time. It's like they were infectious. You were you were lusting for them, whether it was from a platonic or a sexual perspective. Yeah. So they meet at university. Why does he fall out with him at uni? He falls out with him for some reason. Or he's getting... Basically, like, brings Oliver into his friendship group and then he gets a bit sick of him and wants to cast him out. So what Oliver then does is knocks on his door and cries to say his dad has died. Oh, yeah, and he spins all this... Well, this is what we're... We don't know that. Yeah. So then, ultimately, he then invites Oliver to go to their summer house in Saltburn, which is this kind of gorgeous stately home aristocratic place where then he meets um felix's family so we've got sir james who's played by richard e grant lady elspeth who's played by rosamund Rosamund pike Pike, who is so fantastic in this she Um, is so funny in this there's also their friend carrie uh, poor dear played by carrie mulligan it is even though she's not in it for very long i do like, I like to see that her collaboration with Emerald Fennell is continuing after Promising Young Woman. Mm. Um, but I mean, Rosamund Pike, I do have one line that I did remember, and it's something about her comedic timing. Like, he says something to Pamela, who is poor dear, and Rosamund goes, Oh, that's just giving me goosebumps. Look, Pamela, and Pamela's like, Oh, no. And, like, reading that out is not funny, but when you see it, the timing of it is very funny. Makes such a big deal out yes, of it. Yes, like, because Oliver said something, yeah. whatever. And it's like, even when Oliver first goes there, I did quite like the conversations that 
Felix and his family are having about, oh, his dad's died, blah, like, they were like, oh, this poor working class boy, how can we help him, yeah. blah, blah, oh, he's so down to earth. It, it's like, oh, we've got a token working classer, you know, yeah. to be around. And I like, again, I liked all that at the start. But I would have much preferred if it kind of stayed on that track and probably just commented more on being obsessed with people. Because, mm. I mean, some of the things that Oliver does in this film is <laughs> shocking. <laughs> um, so, one thing Felix's sister is hanging about below his bedroom window, so he goes down and performs oral sex on her. Why did you say that so weirdly? I don't know. I think that's how we're... But one of the most shocking bits is, like, Oliver and Felix share a bathroom. I feel like you're brushing through all of these sex scenes really, really quickly. I thought we were going to... All right, okay, go for it then. I don't know. I was just going to put them on the table. Okay, yeah, put them on the Um, table then. So drinking... So... So he catches, he catches Felix, Felix having, having a, a wank, wank in, the, in bath. the bath. Doesn't go in, which I would have done. Um, he just watches. He just watches. And then, as the bath water is draining away, he dunks his head in and drinks it. It's not even like, he doesn't even go underwater, does it? It's like the no. dreg's in the bottom and he's but like I, slurping I, it up. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I especially love that, like, that shot. The decision to put the camera in, in the, bath the bath. yeah. And put um, Barry Keoghan's head, like, as if he's caressing the plug hole. And then he just slurps. Oh. oh. I was like, oh dear. <laughs> I don't, and, I didn't, and, it's obviously... A bit gross, obviously, to drink someone else's bath water. But the thing that I it found, was such a sexy shot. It was really I, sexy. I was so confused by it because I didn't expect to find it so sexy. And I think, I think what Emerald Fennell does with this film is she puts into, she actually puts into scenes, the thoughts that some of us may have like the deep desire erotic thoughts do you want to drink my bath water no but like (laughs) she just she's not frightened to just put them because we've all had them probably no it's very much like like putting your um your intrusive thoughts on screen isn't it i mean the intrusive thoughts won with him and i wouldn't even necessarily say it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing what he does is it well i mean not at that instance but then when, like, at the end, the big twist and reveal, oh, yeah, and you're yeah, looking yeah, back, yeah. everything he's done is yeah. bad. So we discussed Farley, who was your best friend Frankie's favourite character. Yeah. Another sex scene then comes... So Farley has a bit of a... He's the one that's kind of on to Oliver. He doesn't really like him. Although they do have one scene where they sit together and they're like, I don't mind you, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But then Oliver uses his... body <laughs> i don't know why i'm putting this all in such a what are you trying to say well he sneaks into yeah. farley's room and sits on his cock which again was a very erotic scene mm. and i don't think there's any kind of notion of non non non-consent non-consensual in it no no it's very it's like and this is where I think you start to see the potential cracks in where this film is going. Because Barry Keoghan's character is, to me, using his dominance over their silly little rich people problems. And he uses sex with Farley to do that, in my opinion. This way, what I'm this saying is, is you start to see the plot, oh, this might be going in a certain direction. Yeah. I kind of got why he went and had sex with Venetia. I didn't really get why he went and had sex with Farley. I just think he made it. Just think he wanted to dominate him, make mm. him feel a bit. You there? I'll use you. Just last time he told me off shaking the table. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, like I'll use you. Yeah. Which. 
It does flip it on its head because some people say, oh, the fetishization, I can't say it, fetishization of working class is quite a thing. But I think he almost fetishizes aristocracy and the poshies. Well, I have a feeling that's what Emerald Fennell is trying to get at. I have a feeling that she's noticed that people are critiquing the fetishization of the working class and is almost responding to that with this, that middle-class people fetishize aristocracy in some way. Mm. But that's what I think maybe didn't land, because I don't know that many middle-class people that... I wouldn't even say these are middle-class. Barry Kogan is. Oh, Barry, well, yeah. When it comes to it. Yeah. So, this is what I mean, like, he... It all then starts to fall a little bit away for me when it's it's Oliver's birthday. Felix surprises him by saying, we're going to drive home to meet, see your mum. Thinking that Thinking it'd be she'll nice appreciate that. Grieving. grieving. Rocks up at the door. The dad's not dead. So that starts to unravel. And the mum's not an alcoholic. They're actually quite a nice, normal family. But I think the Oliver's psyche is normal isn't enough. I can kind of feel like if he's come from somewhere that's nice enough, nothing ever particularly goes on and gets to Oxford, why he might feel like he hasn't got much of an edge to like make any friends or anything. But that's about the length of my understanding of where his motivation came from because it suddenly went from kind of creating a bit of a persona to heavily calculated manipulation in order to acquire the estate. Yeah. The Saltburn That's estate. what happens. I just, it kind of It totally lost there. me at that point. It leapt there and I was like, well, what the fuck has just happened then? Because all of this looking back kind of makes sense, except it's nothing to do with his character in the slightest. Well, it unravels that Felix ends up dying when the during um, Oliver's birthday party. Yeah. Then he sticks around at Saltburn because he's, he's saying that Felix's mum can't cope without yeah. him because she's become obsessed with him. She's almost treating him like a surrogate. Sir James starts to twig on to kind of Oliver's manipulative traits. Yeah. uh, Felix's sister then kills herself. Yeah, in the bath. In the bath. And then in a flashback scene. Basically, we then, as it all ties up, we then get a flashback scene where basically every single thing that Oliver has done has been totally calculated right from the point where, like, there's a scene when they're at university and when Oliver has made friends with Felix's friends, offered to buy them all a drink. Yeah. And he can't... He, he goes on as if he can't afford it. Yeah. When it he totally he can. can. And Felix covers the bill for him. It just... So the full film has been a full calculation yeah. of this... Perfectly normal, not working class person, infiltrating himself into the upper class aristocracy mm. and getting this house. Like even when, like the the final part of the film, where it's a few years later, yeah, and he's in that coffee shop, and lo and behold, Elsbeth walks in and is like, "Oh my God, Oliver." Because, you know... She, she was is, obsessed with it. She's now on her own because it turns out her husband's died. Obviously, she lost her two kids. And even the way he's like, oh, is, is, is Sir James still around? And she's like, no, he died. And, he, yeah. and Oliver knows fine well that he died. Because he killed And him. he even placed himself in that coffee shop to run into her. Yeah. And it just kind of... I think it made... It was trying to make me feel sorry for all of the people who, for the rest of the film, I thought it was supposed to be critiquing. And instead, it just sort of made me... I think maybe the flashbacks just go, went a step too far. It made it was... me go, eh? 
Yeah, it was I... just a couple of things. Like I could get if the if he'd got to Saltburn um, after having kind of made this persona thing, maybe lied because his dishonesty's gone a little bit too far and it's getting away with him. Got to Saltburn, realized how wealthy they all are and how. I don't know, for whatever reason, he feels they don't deserve that wealth, then decided to start, like, killing them off one by one. That would have made so much more sense. Well, yeah, I mean, but he the even left the razor blades out yeah. for Felix's sister to... Oh, I got the impression that he'd staged that as a suicide. He'd actually killed her. No, he left them out. Yeah, They no. have a deep conversation and he left them out for uh, her to do it. Right, okay, yeah. Um, But, yeah, it was just... It just kind of, uh, it went too far. I think this, the, we're, the, we're hitting the, the nail on the head. We're mm. like, we are like, eh? The like, flashbacks, what was that trying to get me to feel? Like, yeah. I don't get it. The flashbacks, had they, had the kind of, this is when this all started to pan out, started the moment he got to Saltburn, it made a lot more sense. But the way the flashbacks came up at the end it started the moment he got to Oxford, and I'm just like, I don't think you could have calculated that. Like, it's a hell of a calculation, isn't it? First off, getting into Oxford is difficult enough, let alone getting into the same college. Even lending Felix in your target. Felix's bank when yeah. like right at the start, right and it's at like the very you start have it's calculated. Back. It's almost like it's almost a bit like he's paranormal, like supernatural. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not, it's not yeah. normal to be. I would. I feel like I'd have got a lot of much, a lot more out of the film if it had just kind of stuck to the themes of obsession, desire, you know, the working class falling over the upper yeah. class, the upper class falling over the lower, like lower whatever. I like think even if it had, and even if that cafe scene had been the last scene, and it was just a simple, oh look, we've bumped into each other how's life for you oliver how's life for you Elsbeth? and that was it i'd have still got loads more of that kind of what the film was trying to get at and then it all crumbled apart when when the flashback scenes happened you know what i mean yeah um that said i want to circle back to what i said at the very start and say that i actually did have a really good time watching this film and i think it's really good it just doesn't quite stand up to the level of scrutiny that we reasonably have to have for the purposes of this podcast. We'll just go back a little bit. He does kill Lady Elspeth on her... Oh, yeah, he kills everyone. Yeah. Gets us to sign over the will. But then jumping back forward again, one thing that we wouldn't have got if the film hadn't have gone in the direction it had is Barry Keoghan twirling around to... Sophie Ellis Baxter's murder on the dance floor with his cock out. Is it real or do you think it's prosthetic? I don't know. It was a very good prosthetic. Yeah. It was. And I do think that film's quite, like, taking out all the commentary and and how we've, you know, dissected it. I do think that. I do think that that scene is quite an iconic scene and quite, like, if you go endings of films this year that'll be up there with quite oh yeah an iconic yeah, ending to top. a film yeah yeah that and barbie saying i'm here to see my gynecologist yeah. is like up yeah. there um so yeah it, it it's it's a strange it, i wasn't disappointed by it because i've actually started collating for the end of our year favorites biggest disappointments of the year kind of thing um that we did that we started last year it, it wouldn't be on that list. I did enjoy it. Mm. Um, but I think now is probably a good time to just put our star ratings out there to say why. I thought you were going to say two then. I was like, no. I don't think you didn't like it that much. So I went with three and a half. I said four. And my reasoning's a bit like Ned's, although the, eh, what was it trying to get me to think probably lowered it a little bit more than it did for you. Yeah, I I could reasonably have taught myself down to a three and a half. Yeah. Beautiful film, had lots of fun, acting was great, it looked gorgeous. I've said, like, beautiful, blah, 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 blah. What it was trying to get me to feel was a bit like, 
not quite there. Would I watch it again? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people. There's been there's been quite polarizing reviews of it as well, and I think that's because everyone takes their own perspective into every film. Yeah. But I think particularly with this one, depending on where you are on the wealth level yeah. of wealth that you have, yeah, can I take mean... completely different things into this film. Yeah. Um, and like some people have critiqued it for saying, "Oh, it's just been made for like the TikTok Instagram generation to kind of fawn off it," but it's like. It ha it it has I don't think it's purposely done it. There are everyone is talking about it. Yeah. And for a quite a small indie film that came out a few weeks ago now, but a few people two people two of our friends messaged us today saying, Is Saltburn worth seeing? Yeah. I might go see it in the cinema. Yeah. yeah. Which it's clearly got that social media impact print. But, but I anything, don't think that's, that's just been, market, yeah, it? and I don't think that's been forced either. No. It doesn't feel forced to me. It's not like, like some really scathing reviews, like, oh, Emerald Fennell's just done this film to get it on and social media, like get it memed. That as and a like, that as a criticism doesn't make sense to me because Barbie and Oppen Oppenheimer pretty much hundred percent relied on social media marketing. But it's like lightning in a trends, bottle anyway. You can that. spot to me. Yeah. When it's been done on purpose, yeah, I think TikTok has like changed. People say like the music industry because you can hear when a song has been made so for a TikTok dance. TikTok, yeah. yeah, I think when it comes to cinema and TV, <clears throat> you can't. I don't even know how you would go about. Oh, I'm making a film to be memeified, memeified, or whatever it is. But yeah. I think this film just does it, and I think it's probably that nostalgic kind of naughty's feeling more than anything. Oh my God, yes. Especially when it gets cheeky Christmas. Yeah, like all those kind of things. I mean, Emerald Fennell, I mean, the two the two films now, she can put a good soundtrack together. Yeah. I always remember that Promising Young Woman trailer with the violin version of Britney's Toxic. Yeah. And it had like, didn't it have, it had a, did it have a Paris Hilton song in? Yeah, it did. Yeah. Like she's quite good at, getting that and I, I'm very much looking forward to whatever the hell she does next but yeah mm. and to be honest with you I just like a woman who won an Oscar for Promising Young Woman just to be within the mix making yeah. films that have made us have a 40 minute conversation about it yep. that to me is an Can't achievement in wrong. itself so yeah Geda yeah, I need to run and get it. You do the spiel. Now, let's unsheath the Gadar. It's a wonderful piece of machinery devised by Ned's own hand, and we use it to rank all the films and TV we d discuss based on their LGBTQ plus appeal. Let's see where the Gadar ranks Saltburn. Oh, the zip's a bit cool. Is it a bit rusty? I haven't been used in a while. Yeah, a bit dusty. Right, let's have a look. Do, do, do. Where is it? Okay. It is gayer than Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. <laughs> I love how random these are. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah. Not quite as uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's been so long since I watched that now, though. Or not quite as Scream 6. Thinking See, sexuality isn't really discussed in this. But sexuality is very much present in this film. Well, it also is queer sexuality as well. It's not. That's what I mean. Yeah. But it's not like Oliver's sexuality isn't. We don't know what it is. Mm. But it almost made it even hotter. And I think the Gaydar's probably spitting those out because Scream Six had openly queer characters, and it had explicit discussion about identity. 
I would say if we, if it's if it's going around there, it probably is below Scream Six, but above Spider Man Across, because Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Yeah, it was always above Spider Man. Oh, was it? Because that was it's either that side didn't of have everywhere. openly queer characters. It was just quite queer coded at times. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I I think it goes slightly below everything everywhere, just ever so slightly. Obviously, it's an imperfect science at the moment, though. Yeah, yeah. perfect. Great. And that's all for this time. If you have enjoyed this episode of Gaze on Film, please subscribe, rate, and comment on your podcasting platform of choice. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We are at Gaze on Film Pod. And check out our letterboxed accounts, links of which are in the show notes. We'd love to hear your thoughts really actually properly on this one because I, yeah, I think there's lots to talk about a lot of debate so please do feel free to drop us a message i've oh i wanted to say something actually say it well i always think should i bother saying it because we want people to have seen the film what? before they listen but i saw yesterday that this will be released for free on amazon prime on the 22nd of december before christmas so if you want to do a rewatch, then go for it yeah um, I have been Declan. I have been Ned. And this has been Gaze on Phil. Thanks for listening. Bye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.